Red Rocks Austin, make some noise from your living rooms right now. Let your neighbors know that you are having church today. Get a little rowdy. Come on, I can't hear you. No, literally, I can't. You're at home right now. We're having church online. Welcome to week 758 of church online, or so it may feel for you. As you can see, I have not shaved. I have not cut my hair since quarantine began. And if you're wondering, well, well, why not? Then you're in the same boat as my wife is right now, wondering why would you look worse than you already do purposefully, but it's quarantine time. So we're having some fun, taking some liberties. And I wanna thank you for letting me into your living room in spite of my general appearance today. We are having church, like Ryan said, it's kind of cool that, that we theme this year about taking your faith home. Now we're taking church home. We've got 168 hours in the week to pursue God, to make our homes churches. And, and that's really the goal of church. When we get together, it's always saying, hey, take this with you. Don't leave it here. And now the four walls of your house are experiencing worship, are hearing the gospel preached. The good news is making its way into homes all over the world. And I'm proud of our church. I'm proud of the church for responding to this time. And I'm proud of Red Rocks Church for the ways that, that you are stepping up right now to give and to support, pe keeping people connected right now, uh, giving money to people on the front lines, people who are generously donating so we can help hospitals, so that we can help people on the front lines, food banks. Thank you for doing that. And I wanna tell you right now, if you're like, hey, I wanna get involved, here's a really easy way to do that right now. I'm giving you permission to get your phone out during church. I won't know if you do anyway. If you text, I wanna get this right, Red Rocks to 25827. Red Rocks, text it to 25827. You're gonna have the ability to give right now towards the coronavirus relief fund, towards our church, keeping church going. If you're a new believer, maybe last week you tuned in for Easter and you're like, hey, I want a relationship with Jesus. We've got resources for you, free resources we wanna send your way. If you need prayer, you can do it right through that text. It'll lead you to go get prayer from somebody. So, so text that and thank you to everybody who is being the church right now. The best thing that you can do is connect, is to keep us connected and unified as a church in a time when we are isolated from each other. So if you're leading a group, if you're hosting hangouts, we just wanna say thank you, keep doing it, and we love you guys. And, and it may be challenging right now. You may be looking at this time like, man, take home church, the ball's in my court, this isn't so easy. I missed that one hour in church, that was my springboard. And while challenging and not what we would ever have have wished for, I think it might be the best thing for your faith. And we're gonna go after that today. This is actually, I'm excited for today. This is my first time getting to preach in this building. And you have nightmares when you're gonna preach that nobody's gonna show up to church and you're gonna preach to an empty room. And here we are. I'm experiencing that right now, but I'm visualizing that you're all here with me and, and grateful that we get to do church online and grateful for what God is doing right now in this time in our lives. I'm calling this era and this message today, the title of this message is The Great Revealer. Because what's happening right now is this sudden change is revealing truth to us. It may be that you have more of a perspective, you've zoomed out and you're looking at life and, and you're seeing truth in a new light. It may be that you are having truth revealed to you that was true before, but you were too distracted and too busy and inundated with just the busyness of life to realize that truth. And now you are realizing it. 
this change is revealing truth to us. And, and I wanna clarify my intention today because I've heard a few people kind of talking about this concept and, and there's people on one side that are, are basically saying, well, if you're afraid right now, then you just have weak faith and you always did all along and too bad for you and heaping shame onto people. And that's not helpful. And that's not what I wanna do today because we're human beings. There's no playbook for responding to a pandemic. There's no way to just, just go through this without feeling things. In fact, one of the things being revealed to me in this time is I need to be more willing to feel what I need to feel to not avoid it. So this isn't about emotion. If you're scared right now, if you're struggling right now, I'm not coming down on you today. In fact, I'm trying to lift you up. But there's people on the other side who are kind of saying, hey, that's, that's not what we wanna hear. In fact, if you're down, just stay down and just kind of stay in that pit for the rest of this, this quarantine time and then maybe get out of it when it's over. And I don't think that's the answer either. I think there's something in the middle. There's a, there's a grace and truth meeting that needs to happen. And we were talking, the three of us, Doug Ryan and I about like, this feels like a hard time to push people because they're going through a lot, they're struggling right now and, and you almost feel bad pushing them. But we spend a lot of time saying, hey, how do we embrace this time and adapt to this time? And I think it's important to stop and say, what are we learning about ourselves right now? And it may not all be pretty, but maybe we need a little push right now. And I wanna do that with grace and I wanna do it with truth. And we heard this from a pastor that uh, we love named Chris Hodges, that truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless, but grace and truth together are good medicine. And I think that's what we all need right now. And medicine is not always the easiest pill to swallow, pun intended, right? It's not always the most enjoyable experience to get a little medicine, but we all need it right now for our souls. And so God loves you right where you're at. If you're struggling right now, if you're low right now, if you feel distant from him, if you're afraid right now, he loves you right where you're at, but he also loves you too much to leave you there and he has something for you. He's not gonna leave you in that pit. So today we're deep diving. We're deep diving into what's being revealed to us and that's uncomfortable for me. If I'm honest and transparent, I've talked myself out of this message every day for the last 10 days because I like to motivate and mobilize the church and get you out of those doors to go be the church and love people and show them the beauty of Jesus in practical ways. That's my bread and butter and today is introspective it's taking a pause to look deeply into what God's doing right now, what he's revealing right now, getting real about our relationships with him. And maybe in your faith right now, you feel stuck. You feel like your faith has died. You feel apathetic. Maybe you feel shame and guilt about that, about not being the Christian that you think you should be right now. And my intention today is not just to point out the places that that comes from, but to dig those things up and see what Jesus has to say about them for freedom to be found through this time right now. And, and maybe asking some questions and digging to some places that we don't feel like we can as Christians. Maybe we feel like we're gonna get struck by lightning asking some of the questions that we're gonna ask today. But I think if we can get down to those roots and be real about them today, that you're gonna find freedom and you're gonna be more free at the end of this service. And that's what I'm praying and trusting that God's gonna do. So I'm gonna read a passage that's central to what we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna go through a couple stories and, uh, and we'll see what God does. So Matthew 11, starting in verse two, it says, now when John, this is John the Baptist. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus, 
I just pray that you would speak today, that you would move today and that freedom would be found today. That grace and truth would combine beautifully to be the medicine that we all need right now from you. Would we hear your voice? Would we see your face today? In Jesus' name, amen. So change is revealing truth right now. We're seeing things in this moment of clarity like maybe we never have before. And in some ways that's kind of uncomfortable. So recently I got some new light bulbs from my house and I'm a guy who likes bright light. I hate like yellow, dingy, kind of low light. I like the lights to be bright. So I got these 5,000 Kelvin blue, like daylight light bulbs, put them in my bathroom. And then later that day, I went back in, turned the light on, looked in the mirror and it was like, whoa, a little more clear than I'm used to. I'm looking at my face like, I'm not as tan as I thought I was and my skin is not as clear as I thought it was and my beard's not fuller, it's just longer and maybe looks worse. Steph, go get those crappy light bulbs back. I liked it better when I couldn't see as well. And, and I think that's kind of how it feels right now for a lot of us. Right? I kind of liked the busy, the, the crazy life when I didn't have to stop and think about myself. Change revealing truth to us. I'll illustrate it to you like this with a story that, that actually makes me grateful that you're not in this room to throw something at me because it's horrible. So early on in high school, I had my first serious relationship. And when I say serious, that means we dated for like a couple months rather than a couple weeks. She was a great girl and we really liked each other and it was going along well. And I was starting to feel like I'm really growing up. I'm mature. You know, I'm not just this guy going through life on my own. People are depending on me now. Like I'm in a serious relationship. Talking to my parents, like we're kind of on the same page now as adults. And we've been dating for a while. And then my poor girlfriend, she got braces. And uh, coincidentally, right around the same time, we broke up. So I did not tell her that's why we broke up. I probably gave like that classic high school diplomatic speech of like, you know, it's just gotten too serious and I need to focus more on my schoolwork, spend more time with my buddies. But if I'm honest, it was the braces that did the relationship in. Here's the worst part, just when you're like, maybe we turn this off and go find a real church. Here's the worst part. I had braces the entire time we were dating. And I was about to get mine off when she got hers on and our relationship fizzled right in that moment. It's God bless her, protect her health, let her win the lottery or something. I'm not proud of that. But the point of the story was that this small insignificant change revealed the truth that I was a shallow teenage boy. I was 15. My brother had to drive me to go see my girlfriend. I wasn't an adult. I wasn't mature. I just thought I was. And then a change revealed some truth in me. And had I, had I seen it as an opportunity to grow, to be a great revealer, I could have said, you know, I need to grow up. I got to mature and value people more and not be so shallow. I did not. I actually just got worse as a high school boy from there. But, but the operative word here, and what I should have done in this title is the great revealer, because this can be a great revealer. It's great if it moves you forward. And that's, that's what we want to do today, because change is revealing truth to us. So maybe for you right now in your faith, this slowing down, this change in your pace, this change in your life, take home church, maybe you're crushing it. And you're like, oh, you know what? This time has revealed to me that I really do have a firm foundation. That, that I'm going to God right now, I'm reading scripture, I'm taking advantage of more time with him, and I'm, I'm getting stronger, and I'm encouraging people. And if that's you, that's awesome. And keep going. 
and encourage people and breathe life into people. Have humility and joy and just pour it out to everybody that's struggling right now because more likely you might be saying, man, this time is revealing a lot about my faith that I don't necessarily like to admit, that I'm struggling right now, that maybe you're realizing how Sunday dependent your faith is. Maybe you're realizing that this one hour was really the extent of your relationship with God. Maybe you're, you're realizing that it was really other people's faith that you were kind of living off of and that you don't maybe have much of your own. That when left to your own devices, literally, there's not a lot that's going to happen when the ball's in your court. Maybe you're thinking of me as a 15-year-old and you're like, yeah, my relationship with God is kind of shallow, if I'm honest. Or maybe you've just gone apathetic. Maybe you're just like, you know what, when it's left to me, I don't, I don't really care. When, when times get tough, I'm not going there with God. Maybe you are running from him right now. And we all have the desire to be unshaken by circumstance, right? Like I wanna be a person whose faith is so strong that no matter what comes my way, I can stand firm on my faith in Jesus. I want that, but that's so much easier said than done. And we're all realizing that right now. And feeling what we're feeling is one thing, but I think on the deeper level, it's, it's what we're realizing about our relationships with God, that that might be the thing that's actually driving you away from him right now because you feel bad. You feel like, well, I should be pressing in, but I'm not. I should be taking advantage of time, but I'm not. And I can promise you that beating yourself up about it is not going to get you any closer to him. And so today, accept some grace for the fact that you're a human being. And hear this not as, as you being a terrible Christian, but as an invitation from God to say, hey, let's go there. Let's dig to that point. And we're going to dig down to a place that I think most of us wouldn't say. But in a time like this, we have all kinds of things we're thinking and, and causing us to go in whatever directions we're going. But at the very core of it, if you dig down in your faith, I think the reality for a lot of us is that, that you might be mad at God right now. God may not be living up to your expectations right now. God may have offended you in this time. And I know that you're like, can you even say that? Well, I think we can. And I think Jesus actually has a lot to say to us about these times. And so we're going to look at a few moments of Jesus. Because we think of Jesus as like the chill God, like the cool version of God, right? Like he was the hippie kind of cool God guy. And, and he just went with the flow. And no doubt Jesus was chill. But Jesus was also pretty hardcore. Jesus got pretty real sometimes. And Jesus offended people a lot. So our first story is in Matthew 15, and uh, I'll give you a little context. So Jesus and the Pharisees are going at it. What's new, right? A classic story, because the Pharisees were obsessed with outward religion, and Jesus was obsessed with inward transformation. So they were like perfect opponents for each other, couldn't agree on anything, and they'd go back and forth. And so in this case, ironically, the Pharisees are going after Jesus and his disciples because they are not properly ceremonial washing before meals. And I promise you, had it been COVID-19, Jesus would wash his hands and he would wash them for so long that he could sing the whole How Great Is My Dad song or whatever. He would flatten the curve, but that wasn't the case in this story. And the point of what was happening was that the Pharisees were saying, hey, you're not playing our outward religion game. You guys aren't doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. And, and Jesus is looking at them saying, hey, what makes you spiritually clean isn't washing your hands or what you eat. It's what's happening in your heart. It's what's coming out of your heart. And you're all hypocrites. And so he, he, he kind of trumps them. And in Matthew 15, 12, it says, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended 
when they heard this? Jesus, you offended the Pharisees. Nobody offends the Pharisees. They're the powerful religious leaders. We don't, we don't say anything to rock the boat with them. You shouldn't offend them. And Jesus is kind of like, yeah, well, I, I guess I do. And don't worry about that because you need to hear the heart of what I was just saying. And so Peter, sweet, sweet Peter, he looks at Jesus and he's like, yeah, so speaking of that, you were like, I think there was like a parable or you were saying something. What was it that you were, could you explain that to us? And Jesus looks at Peter and this is, this is from the Bible. Jesus says, are you still so dull? Which is kind of a mean thing to say to your friend. I read that and I was like, I just felt like God was leading me through that moment to, to say like, keep hammering on Doug and Ryan more. Like, keep going because I want to be Christ-like and Jesus was trash-talking his friends. So I felt like Jesus was pushing me to keep after those guys. And that's really the only reason I included that part of this story. But, but really, Jesus is, he's just offended the Pharisees, says something kind of offensive to his friend, right? He's offended people. And we love the stories when Jesus offends the Pharisees and the people that think differently than us. It's like, man, Jesus stretched those people and offend those people that think differently than me. But then when it's us, not so much. So here's the story of Jesus offending a different crowd. It's in John chapter 6, and I'll set this one up. So Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's this amazing miracle, multiplies bread and fish. People are blown away soon after that. He walks on water in front of the disciples. And like from a ministry standpoint, this guy is crushing it. These miracles are amazing. So the crowds are so excited, they go find Jesus again. And they're all excited. There he is. And they bring up the whole bread thing. Like, that was amazing. And Jesus stops them. And basically he says, hey, you're all here, not because you want to know me, but because I did something that you liked. You're all coming to me right now, not for me, but because I just did this miracle. I just did something cool and gave you something that you wanted. And he launches into this awesome little mini sermon about bread, about the bread of life. He's saying, hey, you're focused on such temporary things. You want me to do something for you today, but I am here. I am the bread of life. I am the filling for the eternal appetite that you have. I am what you need. And all these people, it's like from a ministry standpoint, right? Like, that's a great sermon. You just did some miracles. It's, Jesus is killing it until he says this. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. I like that. You have no life. And everyone's looking at each other like, what did he just say? You got to think that, like, we read weird stuff in the Bible, and, and we just kind of like, oh, I don't really know about that. Let's get to that next miracle story. But the disciples couldn't breeze past those moments. They're standing there with him like his crew, and they had to have been looking at each other. Man, we got to get a PR guy. Like, we got to get a 13th disciple. Somebody's got to pull Jesus aside and start telling him, like, dude, you can't say the stuff you're saying. You're offending people left and right. Like, what you said to the Pharisees, like, that, you could have handled that better. And this whole thing you just said, like, the crowds are weirded out. And Jesus just, he just says it. And he just leaves it. And, and I'm not going to go deep into the, the bread and the flesh and blood thing because that's not the point of what we're looking at in the story. But if you want to hear more about that story, last summer, our friend George Towers from Denver preached a message out of that story that is the best rendition you will ever hear of it. And you will laugh so hard. So go back to our house guest series. Find George's sermon. You need to be spiritually fed and you need to laugh. And that sermon will give you both. But the point of our story, that what we're looking at in this story rather, is that Jesus yet again has offended people. And here's what it says in John 6, starting in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? 
He knows that people are stirred up right now. Skip to verse 66, and here's what happens. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus is literally watching people stop following him because he didn't do things the way that they wanted him to. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, turns to his core, his, his guys. Simon Peter, he's back, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is this powerful, amazing moment. And if you know that story, it's probably where you think I've been building too, because it's like, yes, Peter, maybe you're not so dull after all. You're getting it. Peter's like, Jesus, you know, you can say some things, ruffle some feathers. We're not going anywhere, man. That, that one thing was a little cannibalistic, and maybe we could talk about that later. But, but Jesus, we're not going anywhere. You have the words of eternal life. You're the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. If you're here, we're not going anywhere else. And it's this powerful moment. But I was thinking about that, and that not that long after, when the stakes are raised, and things are really off the rails and really not going how the disciples envisioned, they all find places to go. They all leave, right? We just went through the Easter story. Because remember, everybody envisioned the Messiah as this political military king who's going to come in, he's going to overthrow Israel, and there's going to be this great revolution, and, and it, things are going to be his way. And so the disciples, with that mentality, they're thinking, well, if our guy becomes king, then we're going to be at the king's table. Those guys argued all the time about the fact, like, hey, no, I'm going to be at Jesus' right. I'm going to be at his left. Jesus told them, you're going to have thrones next to me. And they were, of course, thinking in the temporary, in an earthly kingdom. And so they're, they're like, this is going to be awesome. Like, we're going to eat all the food that we want. We're going to have choice wine. All the single ones of us, we're going to have top shelf wives because we're going to be the king's court. We're going to be at the king's table. And then their king gets arrested, and it's starting to look hopeless, like maybe the revolution's not happening, and beaten, and mocked, and nailed to a cross, and they've all found places to go. And so as I'm thinking about the humanity of that reality in this story, I'm realizing that Jesus wasn't the king they thought. He didn't meet their expectations, so they all found places to go. And it points to the fact that we as human beings have this threshold. We have this point that we hit where we're, you know, we all want to be that. Like, where else are we going to go? It's me and you, Jesus, no matter what, until things get too difficult, until it's too painful, until it doesn't make sense. It, like, it's so far from what makes sense to us. It's so far from what we expected that we're like, yeah, I don't know anymore. That, that we're not going anywhere, that starts to come into question when we hit that point like the disciples did. Where will you go, Peter? Fishing? You'll go back to the old comforts, to whatever will numb your mind from what just happened, whatever to get away from me because you feel shame, you feel frustrated, I didn't meet your expectations, you'll run. And maybe you've been doing that in this time. Maybe you're realizing that right now, like when pandemics hit, and I mean that in the sense of maybe even in your personal life, when, when everything has been stripped away and things have gotten really, really difficult, and you're like reaching that point, you find the places to go. 
Maybe it's the pills, maybe it's the porn, maybe it's the mind-numbing on Netflix and just shutting your brain off, or it's the apathy, and they lead you to places of anger and frustration, shame, guilt. We find places to go when we hit that threshold and start to say, I don't know about this anymore. This is so far from what I thought, so far from what I expected. Which takes us to our third moment, as we see Jesus address this. It's this beautiful moment that we read in the beginning that we're coming back to about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was this wild prophetic man who lived in the desert and his whole life was simply devoted to preparing the way for the Messiah. So everything he did was to ready the hearts of Israel for the coming king. He preached repentance, he baptized, lived a hard life so that the people of Israel would be ready for the Messiah. And at the point we pick up in the story, John the Baptist is now in prison. He spoke out against Herod publicly, who's the ruler of the area that he lives in, gets arrested, put in prison. And then this happens. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Kind of an interesting response. Of course, not just a yes. Jesus gives some evidence. Hey, here's what's happening. Here's the kingdom work that's going on. And then he leaves off with this, this monumental phrase that you may have never paid attention to before. But before we dig into that, think about this moment. So Jesus is out doing ministry and John the Baptist sends his friends who have come to visit him in prison to go say, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we wait for another? And if you're newer to the John the Baptist story, then you might think, well, yeah, this guy's about to die. Maybe he wanted some last hope before he died that the Messiah had come. But what's weird about this is if there were a couple people in the world at that time who would have had confidence that Jesus was the Messiah, John the Baptist would have been one of them. John the Baptist's whole ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come, and then one day he did. And then he showed up to the Jordan River, and John baptized him. And a dove, the Spirit, descended down onto Jesus, and he heard the Father say, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. John experienced the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in one moment. And then Jesus went out from there and his ministry started and the rumors were circulating and everyone was hearing about Jesus, not to mention that John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. So in my mind, I'm like, John, if anybody would have known that, wouldn't you have? But I also understand in his humanity, look at where he's at. He's thinking, hold on a second. I lived my whole life to prepare the way for the Messiah, and I'm in prison. I I lived in the desert. I never had a wife. I never had a family. I ate bugs. And now I'm going to die at the hands of evil men? Jesus, if you're the Messiah, why does my life look like this right now? He's hit a threshold. He's hit a point where he's saying, this does not make sense. My circumstance does not match my expectations. Jesus, are you 
the Messiah? And so there's this, this book that is called The Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards. It's been transformational in my life, and it's why this story has been working on my life for years. And I'm just going to read a tiny little part from it because this author has an amazing uh, commentary on this moment uh, of Jesus giving the commentary while John is being led to his execution. And it says, When I called you, John, and told you that you would announce the coming of the Messiah, you assumed that because you were going to prepare the way for me, you would have the joy of seeing the wonderful day of my coming in glory. But today you have met a God you do not understand. Such is the mystery of my sovereignty. Such are my ways in every generation. No man has ever understood me, not fully. No man ever will. I will always be something other than what men expect me to be. I will work out my will in ways different from what men foresee. The guard has shifted his weight. The blade is raised above you. Death stands beside you. And you die, my brother John, in the presence of a God who did not live up to your expectations. And blessed are you if you are not offended with me. If you're new to the story, you're like, oh, so he really died? That's really what happened? Yeah. John the Baptist was executed. He didn't get to see Jesus go to the cross or walk out of the tomb. And you're like, but why? Like, so many whys. Why would that be the way that happened? Just like we ask all the time. Now, I want to read where the author addresses us, the audience, and what he says in challenging form. The question is not, why is God doing this? Why is he like this? The question is not, why does he not answer me? The question is not, I need him desperately. Why does he not come rescue me? The question is not, why did God allow this tragedy to happen? Nor is it, why does God allow injustices? The question before the house is this. Will you follow a God you do not understand? Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? We face these moments, man, that's challenging. And John, man, if you feel like right now, you're like, man, I've been questioning my faith. I've had doubts in my life. And, and if you're feeling bad about that, take heart in the fact that John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest in the kingdom, he had that moment. He asked those why questions. And blessed are you if you're not offended with me. I've had those moments in my life where it's like, whoa, 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 we're starting to get to the point where I'm not sure about this whole thing, Jesus. This doesn't look like it should. Right after I found my faith, I lost a childhood friend, died suddenly, and I was like, hold on. I thought that things were supposed to just kind of be smooth sailing now. Like, I put my faith in you. And some of you are thinking right now, like, dude, last week was Easter. This is pretty heavy, and there's new believers, and you're just going to go straight into in this world. You will have trouble. Yes. Because I think what happens a lot of times is people get, get told everything's just going to be great, just follow God, and they dip their toes in, but their life still has trials and struggles. And so then they just say, well, forget that. That's not, that's not what I thought. A, a little over a year ago, my wife and I were driving to the hospital six weeks before our son was due because my wife was having contractions. And six hours later, our son was born. And it was this amazing, beautiful moment. And at the same time in my head, I was like, God, this isn't what we prayed for. This isn't what we expected. It's not supposed to look like this. Our family's supposed to be here. We're not supposed to have to be worrying. I'm not supposed to be on my knees right now praying that my son will be able to breathe when he comes out. I'm not supposed to have to watch my son get taken straight to the NICU and hope that he can eat and learn to breathe on his own and all the things that come 
with the NICU life. I'm not supposed to be worrying about how long my wife and I are going to be living at this hospital. This isn't what we expected, God. One of the most painful things that I've, I've watched in my life and gone through in my life was, was watching my grandmother, somebody that I loved so dearly, who would love nothing more than to sit on her back porch and just listen for the voice of God, a spiritual giant, and watching her suffer year after year after year from Parkinson's and going, God, she doesn't deserve this. God, what, what's the deal right now? Where are you? Why is this happening? This does not by any means look like how I would be doing things right now. And when you reach that point, you're out of answers and you get told, and blessed are you if you're not offended with me. It might be hard to know what to do with that. So I wanna dig into that because Isaiah 55, eight says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. And, and we, I think, intellectually understand that, but I think it's also for that reason that people walk away from their faith. Because you reach that point where something happens, you reach that threshold and you look at God and you say, you know what? My logic doesn't line up with what you did there. My logic doesn't line up with what's happening right now. So you take him off the throne and you put your logic onto it. And quite honestly, the stories I've heard of things people have gone through and are going through, that would be a very logical thing to do if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for Jesus. Because if a cold, far off, distant God just basically said, hey, you know what? It is what it is. I'm God and you're not, so too bad. Suck it up. Like think about what Jesus could have said back to John. Oh, okay, John. Yeah, now when things don't look like you want them to, now you're gonna question me. Now when life looks way different than you expected, now I probably don't know what I'm doing, huh? Yeah, John, you, human being, with your finite time on earth, in one era of history, in one part of the world, in one people group, you probably know better than me. Sure, John, you get on the throne. He could have said that. Honestly, could have. But that's not God. That's not his character. That's not who Jesus is. Look at what he says in that moment. The humility of a sovereign God to say, and blessed are you if you're not offended with me. It's like I can feel the anguish and the pain that Jesus is feeling in that moment, that he's looking and he's thinking of his cousin who he loves so much. And he's like, oh, John, if anybody should be able to understand my ways, it's you, man. If anybody should be able to just get all the answers they want right now, it's you, but you can't know you're human. If only, it's like Jesus standing in this crowd of people realizing how hard faith is. And he doesn't harp on him. He says, blessed are you if you're not offended with me. I know this is hard. And look at Jesus himself. We have a God who is not cold and distant and far off. In fact, he did not spare himself the same pain that we go through. He actually took it upon himself. All of our sin, all of the pain, death itself, Jesus drank the cup. And if you're right now thinking like, man, this, this moment seems too big for me. I've gone through times where I really struggled. So did Jesus. In the garden, Jesus was sweating blood because of the weight of what was happening in the world. Jesus understands how hard faith is. He understands how hard walking through a broken world and keeping God on the throne, he, he gets it. And if I was to make it simple, I think the most beautiful part of this moment is that Jesus is standing there, that God is in the room, that he has come into our turf 
in our flesh confined to a human body, Jesus is there to say something back to John. We have a God who came here. The beauty of this story is that the great revealer of history is Jesus. That Jesus revealed the love of God to the world. He reveals, and sometimes he reveals things and offends us. He reveals our need for a savior. He reveals the fact that we are broken, that we are prone to run to other places. And he is that savior. He is the great revealer of God's love for the world. The author of that book asks this question. Shall we scorn that God has revealed so little concerning his ways or rejoice that he has revealed so much? A fair question to ask. So often it feels like, man, God, if you could just give us a little bit more, but then I think about Jesus, that God sent him, that he was here, that he is the evidence that we have of God's love, that he is the revealer of how God feels about us, that he went to the cross, that he walked out of the tomb, that we have the evidence, the revealing of God's nature towards us through Jesus. And, and a guy who died on a cross and walked out of a tomb, he sits on the throne. And my logic does not, and neither does yours. And that might be a hard pill to swallow. That might be a challenging thing to think through. But on one hand, I'm very thankful that it's not my logic on that throne because my logic would say that a perfect God should not die for his imperfect people. And yet he chose to. Thankfully, the kingdom logic, God's logic, is so far beyond what makes sense to me. And so the beauty of this story, the beauty of what Jesus is doing right now is that it doesn't mean your pain is invalid or you need to become this person who just says, no, 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 God's good, so, so everything's cool. In fact, it actually means that Jesus is right there with you, that you may walk through some valleys and he's saying, I'm next to you. I know pain. I know the struggle. I know how hard the human life is. I know I felt the pain of a moment where I wanted so badly for humans to be able to see how I see to be able to see the beauty of this story and step outside of time and see even how differently I view life and death than you do. I get it. And I'm here with you right now. I'm not mad at you because of the struggle in your faith right now. It actually means that you are free to feel it and go to him with it. And so I'll challenge with a question. Do you trust God or do you trust your understanding of him? Would you want to fully would you want to worship a God that you fully understood? Would that make him God? Do you trust him or your understanding of him? Because when you hit those moments, when you hit those threshold moments, there's some beautiful freedom that can come. It can be a great revealer. One of them looks like this for me. Think of like walking into the DMV and they just hand you a license and on it, it just says, I don't know. There's so often as, as a Christian and as a pastor where it's like, hey, why do you think this pandemic's happening? What's, what's God up to right now? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I think we feel that a lot, but we feel as Christians like we're supposed to have all the answers because the world looks at us and goes, well, you believe in God and say he's good, so why is this happening? And we're like, uh, here's a verse and here's a Christian cliche and a spin I can try to put on this to, to paint it. I don't know. There's times where we just don't no, and I think for some of you, you might find freedom today in just being able to say that. I don't know. I don't know all the answers. You have a license to say that. Because here, here, here's another question for you. Is the pursuit of your life understanding God or knowing him? 
because those are two very different things. And we were never promised understanding him. We were offered to know him. We were offered to know him through Jesus. And now there's always more to gain through seeking understanding. I know some of you skeptics out there, you're like, okay, dude, just say, I don't know. That's a cop out. I don't, I don't say, I don't know. That's not in my vocabulary. Here's my challenge to you. I believe that if you put all of your energy that you spend right now intellectually trying to understand God into knowing him relationally, that you will actually come to understand him more. That if you sought to know him with all of your energy every single day, you will actually understand more of him. We just saw you can put some context and dig into some stories and see things that you're like, whoa, I just breezed past that, but there's so much to know and understand about Jesus. It's like, if my relationship with my wife had, had just been like up till now, oh, I'm just trying to understand her. So I kind of keep my distance. I ask some questions to people about her. And sometimes I try to ask her myself. Sometimes she says something back, sometimes she doesn't. I observe what she does and I write down what I like that she does and what I don't like. And then I make my decision on how I feel about her. That's not really a relationship. And the invitation was not to understand, it was to have a relationship. And so as I seek to know my wife, husbands know like, you're never gonna fully understand your wife. But as I seek to know my wife through talking to her and spending time with her and going through hard times with her, asking questions that don't have easy answers, I actually come to not only know her, but understand her more. So that's my challenge to you. The offer is to know him. And it's when we hit that moment, when we press in, it's like Jesus is saying, oh, blessed are you if you're not offended with me, because if you can push through this moment, if you can see to the other side, if you can stick with me, that's where your faith is activated. Faith is forged in the fire. I don't know very many people who won the lottery and became these radical people for the kingdom when everything went right and everything went their way. I don't know many of those stories, but I know so many stories of people who everything crashed down and everything got hard and that's where their faith was forged. And the, the beautiful thing is you're, if you're like, well, I haven't responded like that in this time, neither did the disciples and look what Jesus did. He walked out of the tomb and he went and gathered them. He didn't go get a new crew and say, look, you guys all, you all left me. You said, to where will we go? And you all left. No, he gets the same guys and he says, now you know. Now you know that, that I don't do things your way, but I do things the right way. Now you know that this wasn't what you expected, but it's so much grander and better than what you thought. He restores them. He breathes life into them. And then they go and they start the church. And man, those guys went through so many things. And I think, how did they keep going? in the midst of all the persecution and being hunted by the Roman Empire and everything they went through. And, and I think they think back to him, and blessed are you if you're not offended with me, if you can keep going, if you can be people of faith, it may not make sense, but you know me, you know me, you know my heart for you. You know who I am, keep going. He took their shame away, he restored them and he sent them and he wants to do the same thing for you. Blessed are you if you are not offended with me. Not a formula. Don't read that like, okay, so if I just never have a complaint about Jesus, then he will bless me. If I just kind of say, yeah, no, everything's fine. Everything's cool. Whatever you want to do, then he will bless me. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the blessing comes in surrender because that's the moment when your faith is ignited. You will be so blessed in the moment when you can let the weight of the universe off of your shoulders and not have all the answers and maybe say, I don't know. You will be so blessed as our friend Chad says, to, to give up trying to referee the sovereignty of God 
and, and instead trading that in to know him personally, to realize that, man, I may not have all the answers and I may not, not like everything that he does and he may not live up to my expectations, but blessed are you if you're not offended with me. If you can keep the faith, be people of faith because he's close to you. He came here. He's not a distant God saying, get it together. Too bad for you. He's saying, I know pain and I'm here with you right now in this moment. And I love you so much just like you are, but I love you too much to, to leave you there. So let's go. And it may not make sense along the way, but I promise you, you've got all the evidence you need in my death and my resurrection and who I am and how I feel about you. So come and seek to know me. So I just want to pray for you, Jesus. I pray for our church family. God, with a heavy, a heavy group of questions to ask and, and challenging things to think through of letting go in some ways. I pray for freedom and weight off of shoulders right now. I pray that you would just ignite faith right now, that we would be able to surrender and just drop to our knees and say, God, I don't always get it, but I know that you sent your son. I know that you love me. I know that you're close, that you did not spare yourself pain. And I know that you see this entire story at a level that I can't understand right now, but there's so much beauty in it that there's restoration, there's salvation, and there's eternity that you made possible for me because you came here so that we could know you. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are, that you are the great revealer, that you have revealed to us how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.